Father, we thank you for the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And Lord, as we pause and consider, Lord, in the, the various aspects of this jewel of the truth that you came into the world, that you who are God, the Son, one with the Father through all eternity, who always existed, came into this world, took to yourself a true human nature, a real body of flesh and blood, and you were born, conceived first by the Holy Spirit, miraculously, and took your, your true humanity from the Virgin Mary. And then in time you were born, Lord, as a little baby. And uh, we thank you for coming into this world. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. And Lord, we thank you for the wonder that in Jesus Christ, truly, God took on human flesh and became one <coughs> with our humanity so that he might save us from our sins. Father, we pray you'd give us grace to really understand what is being celebrated by your people at Christmas time, so that we would have these truths get a hold of our hearts by your grace. <coughs> we thank you that we belong to you, that you created us, and that you have redeemed us through the precious blood of your son that was shed for us at Calvary's cross. So Lord, we pray you'd bless us this night. As we're gathered here, Lord, there's many that are on our hearts and family and friends, loved ones, neighbors, other folks that we have knowledge of that do need your help and your strength and your touch. We pray that you would encourage those who are discouraged. We pray you'd give direction to those who might be confused. And we ask you to give health to those who are ill and grace to bear up under the burdens, Lord, that we have. We just pray, Lord, that you bless your people and those that are on our hearts this night. We ask you to be with them. Give us grace now to hear your word, open our hearts and, and the, are the, the ears of our understanding. And by your Holy Spirit, we pray you would apply to us those wonderful truths of Scripture. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, our text tonight is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, it's quoting the text from Isaiah chapter 7 about the virgin birth as the uh, angel explained things to Joseph. Uh, and he told him that, that what was conceived in his fiancée's womb before they came together when she was found to be with child, was of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at this in weeks past somewhat, and we know Joseph undoubtedly was distraught to learn that the young girl that he was in love with, that he'd planned to spend the rest of his life with, was with child, and they'd never been together, and so he didn't know what to think until the Lord told him, uh, this is not any failure in Mary. This is the fulfillment of what God had promised eight centuries ago. The promise through Isaiah, and it's recorded in Isaiah chapter 7, that the virgin would conceive and bear a son. That was fulfilled in the first century when Mary became with child. Actually, you'd say first century was it B.C. or A.D.? Well, when she was pregnant, it was B.C. When he was born, it was A.D. However, the calendar might be messed up. It still is the time before Christ came and then the time uh, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, after his coming, that's the A.D. And so Jesus did come at that time, and Joseph is reminded of that. And he told, the angel told him, fear not, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Savior, Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, it seems that either the angel is still speaking in verse 22 or Matthew 
adds the commentary under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, so I think that's wonderful. When Joseph saw that little baby laying there in the manger, or perhaps at that point yet still in Mary's arms, when he looked down, he said, his name is Jesus. That's the Savior. He knew who it was to whom he was uh, looking, and, and uh, what a name. Mary had been told to name the child Jesus also by Gabriel when he appeared to her before she became pregnant. <coughs> we have the Old Testament prophecy that his name would be called Emmanuel. Some said, well, if his name was supposed to be Emmanuel, why'd they name him Jesus? Well, because Jesus has many names, okay? Um, some of us have our birth names, and sometimes we acquire names as we go through life and try to spend some time trying to disacquire them, you know, if it depends on how you got the name. Um, but sometimes people are named according to their natures or their works. And uh, I know a fellow named his son, it actually wasn't his name, but his son, we called him Rooster. And I said, why did you name your son Rooster? because he's up at the crack of dawn every morning waking us up <laughs> and so that was his name rooster we probably know people like that okay maybe you have had a name like that i had a few names when i was younger that i'm not going to tell you but this one jesus as they got to know him they found out who he was he really was god with us <clears throat> our opening text was from first timothy three sixteen, where paul writes great is the mystery of godliness Literally, it's confessedly great. Okay, uh, the King James and the, the most translations translate. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And a little bit, I kind of had to chuckle because one of the greatest controversies in the church has been people trying to deny the deity of Jesus. You know, in the early church, the Gnostics, they said, oh, God couldn't become a man because the physical world is all, you know, mud, hair, and filth. And so, that the holy true God couldn't become a man because you know everything physical is bad, or they would say it's illusional or something like that. And of course, then their application was so it doesn't matter what you do in the physical realm. And so they attracted a lot of followers because they taught immorality. <clears throat> and so they denied the deity of Christ. Later there was Arius who came along and yeah, he said, well, Jesus is just like God, but he's not really God. He's the, the first creature ever made. And early church fathers, other guys that were alive in his time, one man in particular by the name of Athanasius, because they were both from uh, Alexandria, Athanasius said, no, that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that the Messiah is God incarnate. You know, God was manifested in the flesh. There was actually was a council that met because Arius caused so much trouble all through the Roman Empire that when Constantine came to the throne, he called a council and it met in the city of Nice. And that's where the Nicene Creed comes from, which declares, as we sang earlier uh, in the, the hymn, Will Come All You Faithful, that, you know, God of God's light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created. That Christ is eternally begotten as the Son by the Father. It's a mystery. It's beyond our, God's not like we are. <clears throat> but the real mystery is what Paul talked about. Great is the mystery. And then, by the way, mystery is a Greek word. That's actually what Paul said. The mysterion, 
Uh, great is the mystery of godliness or of piety. God was manifested in the flesh. You know, some of that, you, you, you can approach this in a whole lot of different ways, you know, devotionally, philosophically, theologically. Obviously, theology means to study God, so you have to approach it that way no matter what. But when you think about who God is, and then you think about the incarnation, the reason why some people it doesn't mean much to them is because they have a real low view of God or they just have no view of God. But if you stop and think that we're creatures, all right, nothing wrong with that. God made us, right? We came from nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that, there was nothing created. The only being that there was was God, uncreated. You want to talk about solidity of existence, it's God. He exists. He is the self-existing one. Okay, and he doesn't need anything else. He didn't have to go look for that. He is all encompassing of everything. He is the ground of all being. All right, that's some philosophy, huh? <laughs> I can only think about this stuff so much. And the priest is like, okay, I think I need to go, you know, uh, you know, play a game of solitaire or something, get my mind. You know, you got to kind of come back down to earth. But sometimes it's okay, just go ahead and think about it because we need to realize God's not like us. God's different. He's eternal. We don't know what that means, even though we, we use those terms. We, we look at eternity as, well, time with the ends knocked out, kind of, or it goes on and on forever. God doesn't dwell in eternity. He is eternal. God's being is such that he has always been. And he's a good God because he desired for us to exist. You exist because it was his good will for you to exist. He's very good. You know, Jesus, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what shall I do that I might have eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus didn't deny that he himself was good. He just challenged this young man, <clears throat> basically, because he was trying to use flattery with Jesus. He said, oh, good teacher, you know, what, what, what good thing must I do? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good except God. Someone said, oh, well, see, Jesus there is saying he's not really God. No, that's not what he's doing. He's telling the young man, if you're coming to me on the basis of calling me a good teacher, do you understand what you're saying? God is the only one who is ultimately good. If that's what you're saying, fine, but that's not what he was saying. He was trying to flatter Jesus. And so Jesus gently rebuked him and then told him, you know, uh, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then take up the cross and follow me. And the last word, by the way, in the in the original, in that narrative that Jesus said to him was, "Take uh, follow me having taken up the cross. And then it says, at this word, he became sorrowful and went away. Also says Jesus loved him. So hopefully he got right later. But the point is, is that God is a good God. He's the ground of all being. That is everything that exists, exists because he willed it to exist. His own existence I am that I am. Remember when Moses said, who are you? He said, tell them I am that I am. Uh, the Hebrew in that is really, really awesome. It's, uh, I can you know tell you what the Hebrew, it's, it's, if you speak Hebrew, it's aye, asher, aye. Okay? It's like, oh, thank you. Now are we done with the tongue talking? Let's, could you tell us what that means? Aye means I am, but in Hebrew, the verb is not tied into time quite like we are. It's I will be that which I will be. Or I am that which I am. And it's it's basically a way of saying eternally I am what I am. I am who I am. I'm everything that I am. 
It's a really full, full statement. Why? Because it's describing God. It's the name he gave Moses. And he said, tell them I am. Aye, I sent you. And the name Jehovah or Yahweh uh, is related to that, that phrase. That's why Yahweh means the self-existent one. And so God is the ground of all being. So why am I going on about this? Well, Jesus is God with us. God with us. We recognize we exist. We have, you know, you, you really here. Okay. We're not thinking, oh, this world is just an illusion. You know, we're in a, it's all a dream. And oh, no, this is real. This, the, you know, the world is real because God made it. <clears throat> we're told that Christ upholds the creation by his word. He sustains the creation. He's the creator and the sustainer. We exist because it's his will for us to exist. Uh, in 2 Peter, when he talks about when Christ returns, it says the earth and the works therein will be dissolved. And it seems that there's going to be a point where the physical present heaven and earth is, with great uh, heat is going to be dissolved. That is when it's on a molecular atomic structure seems to be broken apart. Something's going to happen. If you talk to uh, physicists, they'll tell you that, well, when you say, what, you know, what are things made of? Well, they're made up of molecules and molecules are made up of atoms and atoms are made up of neutrons, protons and electrons. And those are made up of uh, quarks and <coughs> they keep pushing it, trying to figure out, well, what, what's this, what's the ground, the substance of it. And that's where they came up with the string theory. And it's interesting when, you know, it, because they say ultimately the physical world is made out of energy. It's a what? Well, it seems like it's real. It doesn't look like it's a, you know, an electric shock. You say, well, the ground of being in the physical world seems to be energy. And when they do a model of it, it's interesting because the model of the string theory, if you ever looked at it, it looks like a voice pattern. And the scripture says that Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, whether there's an actual correlation between those two things or not, maybe they got the model wrong. But the Bible tells us we knew this long before the physicists knew it. The world is upheld, the physical creation is upheld by the word of God, by the word of Christ. He created it, we should say the Father through the Son created it, and he sustains it, and he carries it along for his purpose. And he's covenanted with us in Christ to keep us and sustain us and give to us eternal life forever, to be with him, to the ages of the ages of the ages. So we exist because of him. Again, why is this important to talk about this? The incarnation is this one that we're talking about, who is the ground of all being and the eternal one, taking to himself, joining to his person, a human nature. God, who is uncreated, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, he didn't quit being God. He has a divine nature, but he also added to his person he took to himself a created human nature and became man. And he did that so that he could fully pay for our sins. He could represent us as a true man being sinless. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So he was not a direct descendant of Adam by natural generation. So he didn't partake of original sin like we all do. Adam represented us in the garden and everyone born from Adam by natural generation. That is when you have a physical dad and mom. We have Adam's sin, which was ours because he represented us, imputed to us, and that's why we're born with corrupted natures. <clears throat> Jesus entered humanity in a unique way, so he did not partake of Adam's 
sin. That's why Jesus is the sinless and holy son of God. So he became man in a unique way. He took all of his humanity, he derived it or received it from the Virgin Mary. He was conceived in her womb and he, you know, had a period of gestation. He was, you know, she was pregnant with him and then he was born on Christmas day, whether it was December 25th, you can debate that, but whatever day he was born, it was Christmas day. Okay. Uh, whether we get the celebration on the right day or not, it's another matter. But he was born, and this one that was born was God. As to his person, he is joined with his divine nature inseparably and infallibly. And now he has joined to his person infallibly and inseparably and eternally a human nature. He is God and man in one person forever. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he do this? Remember what I said earlier about the nature of God? He's good. God is good. And John, remember what he said? He that loveth not knoweth not God. He said, why? Because God is love. God is good and he loves us. That's why he did this. He knew you could exist. He knows all things, okay? He knows everything. He knows all actuality. He knows all possibility. You know, often one be like, well, what if I would have been born, you know, over here? What if, you know, I have to think, well, what if I would have been born into a, you know, really, really rich family or something like that? He was like, well, that wasn't going to happen because you would have destroyed yourself probably, okay? Um, you know, we often wonder, like, what if I was taller? What if I was shorter, et cetera? Well, God knows all that. He, you know, he knows all possibility. He knows everything. And he ordained his decree to unfold for that which would be the, the highest good, the sumum bonum that they talk about in philosophy, the highest good for you and for God's glory. God made you for his glory and for your good. And that's why you were born the way you were born and you look the way you look and you're living the life you're living. Okay, I'm not talking about where you fail sometimes and sin, but the people that are in your life, the things, the blessings that he's put all around you. It's because he loves you. He created you. And yes, we've sinned. And that's why Christ came. Christ came so that he could be sinless, go to the cross, not have to pay the wages of sin, which is death for himself because he had no sin. He could pay our debt, and he did. And because we sinned against an infinite, eternal God, we needed a sacrifice that was infinite and eternal in its value, in its merit. And nobody could pay that unless it was someone who was both God and man in one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. God knows what he's doing in all these things. Jesus came into the world as the Son of God, became a man, lived a sinless life, in my opinion, I think anybody that reads their Bible and knows the Lord will agree with me. He is the most awesome person that ever walked on the face of the earth. He is the creator, and he became a man, a true man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And, you know, when we say God with us, that rings. It's not just that he's nearby. It means he's with us. You know, when we say somebody, you know, if they're in trouble, and you say to them, you ever had somebody say that? You, I've been in trouble a few times, and once in a while I've had a friend say, don't worry, brother, I'm with you. Man, what a comfort. It's like, thank you, because I felt really alone. And isn't it nice when God says to us, I am with you? And he said that multiple times in Scripture. Jesus is God saying to us, I am with you. You don't need to be afraid. In life or in death, you belong to me. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a lot to celebrate. That little baby that was born in Bethlehem, we need to be just like Joseph. We, you know, when we think about him, and it's okay. And realize Jesus grew. And he became a man, and then he lived, he died, rose again, he's in heaven right now. And as far as mental images of Christ, we don't want to, you know, be mentally violating the second commandment. Like, well, I think he looks like this or that, or it's, we don't need to do that. But when Joseph looked at that little babe in the manger, and he said, his name is Jesus, 
He knew exactly what it meant, Savior. And my hope and prayer is that for us tonight, we can look to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know what, Lord, your name really is Emmanuel. You are Jesus, Yeshua. You're the Savior. And how much you love us, Lord, we're just beginning to find out. May God fulfill our or fill our hearts with his love and mercy and that knowledge of who he is. The great God, the infinite, eternal, round of all being, took a human nature. Why? So that we could be saved, so that we could know his love and be with him forever. So praise God. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll sing another hymn and then we'll call it a night, okay? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into this world. And we confess that you truly are God manifested in the flesh. We pray that you'd keep us now in your love and grace. And as we celebrate your birth, that you came that night, Lord, help us really do it in a manner pleasing to you. And Lord, we, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are a good God and that you are love, Lord, and you love us in spite of ourselves, Lord, so many times. And you fill our hearts with love for you and others. We thank you for that. We ask you to continue that work and be glorified in our lives. So, Father, we just thank you for the gift of your son that he was given that very first Christmas Eve. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to always act, Lord, and live in such a way to remember that you are Emmanuel, God with us. But we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And we have a...